reading today is going to come from Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And that can be found in your pew Bibles on page 1,827. 1,827. Verses 1 through 11. Imitating Christ's humility. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and, and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Thank you, Janine. I'd like to ask the boys and girls if you want to come up for a children's message. I'm going to have you moving back and forth today. Okay, could we move more towards the center? Okay, move into the center. Just move in. Okay, can you move into the center? Go ahead. <laughs> All right. There you go. All right. Okay. Boys and girls, what country do you belong to? Do you know, Mel? Iowa. Iowa is a state in our country. So what country is Iowa in? Do you know? USA. The United States of America. So if you were born in this country, or your mom and dad are citizens of America, then you are automatically a United States citizen. So you are an American, right? And an Iowan, because we live in Iowa. Of course, anybody here now live in Iowa? South Dakota, Minnesota, okay, all right. Now boys and girls, what if you're not born in America? 
and your parents are not American, but you want to become an American. How do you do that? How do you become an American? Do you know? Immigrate. You immigrate. You come from the country you lived in to the United States, but it's more than that. You can't just move here. There's a whole bunch of things you have to do. Now what I've got here is a certificate of a little girl that was being adopted from another country into America and she had to get a certificate to become a US citizen. And adults have to go through classes, they have to pay fees, they have to go through all kinds of, of administrative things to become a citizen. And when they become one, they have to stand and like pledge, we pledge allegiance, they, had to, they have to pledge allegiance to America. So it's quite a hard thing to do. Now, you know, the Bible talks about another country that we can belong to. Does anybody know what that country might be? It's a country of heaven. And it talks about having citizenship in heaven. How do we become citizens of heaven? Anybody have any idea? Any things you've learned in Sunday school or Bible school about how we become citizens of heaven? <sighs> well, you listen to the sermon today because I'm going to tell you how. Jesus came here so that we, he could help us become citizens of heaven. Because when we die, our spirits aren't going to stay in America. We want them to go to heaven. And so Jesus is the way to become a citizen of heaven. Alright? Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for our country. We thank you for our freedoms and that we're citizens here. But give us clarity and help us understand how to be citizens of the kingdom of God, of heaven. Amen. Okay, thanks for coming up. It just feels to me today kind of that we're kind of tired kind of dragging today. So I am going to have a moment of silent prayer. Try to stay awake. <laughs> Put your focus on the Lord and open yourself to His Spirit. Let's pray. Amen. Well, throughout the Advent season, we've been reflecting on the topic of people movements, the migrations of people in the world today and in the Bible. We talked about migrations of people as immigrants, 
And one of the children has been listening. They, they understood that, seeking to become citizens of another country. And there's refugees. We talked about refugees or who are people who have been forced from their homes because of war or starvation or persecution. And all of us here can identify in some way with being part of the immigrant story of America. But this morning I want to conclude with talking about the ultimate immigration story and what it means to us. Because we've only ever known Earth, we probably don't reflect very much on what it meant for Jesus to leave heaven and come to this place in which we live. The Bible says the environment of heaven is of unimaginable beauty. The sights and sounds, the smells and splendors of heaven, they were all that Jesus has ever known, ever knew from eternity past. In heaven, Scripture tells us Jesus had known legions of angels hovering around the throne, tens of thousands of them assigned to the full-time job of singing, Worthy are you, God. Holy, holy, holy are you, the Lord God Almighty. In heaven, all Jesus knew relationally was perfect love. Perfect love of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uninterrupted, intimate relating. In heaven, Jesus could say a word and the world would come into an existence. He had unlimited power. And then 2,000 years ago, the second person of the triune God comes into this world as a baby. And the first thing he sees on planet Earth is that he's in a barn. And the first thing he smells is urine and manure. And the first sounds he hears are of donkeys and cows and chickens. And instead of angels offering praise, there's just, you know, some people standing around. He's alone in a feeding trough that's used for animals. He has no power, and he hopes his mother will change his diapers and feed him on time. He's powerless. He becomes human and experiences for the first time what it's like to be hungry, tired, and exhausted, and dependent on others. You know, when people immigrate from one country to another, they're trying to upgrade. They, they want to find a life of more opportunity and, and, and safety and provision. Jesus is humbly demoting himself. He's leaving the perfection of paradise to live in a broken world and to die and through live a human life and to die. It'd be like if you and I decided we're going to immigrate to Syria or Iraq or Afghanistan. Why? Why did he do it? Why did he downgrade from absolute goodness to a world mixed with, with evil and good? and problems. What does this Christmas immigration mean for us? Let's look at it four different ways. First, there's the relevance of this Christmas, which is God immigrates to earth. 
Let's be clear from Philippians 2. Jesus Christ is God. He is the creator of the universe who comes into the world. Verse 5 and 6, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God. Jesus is divine. And he immigrates from heaven to earth. Now there are people who will say Jesus is a great man, a great teacher, a great prophet. Jesus never claimed to be a great prophet. Over and over, the Bible repeats, the Bible proclaims that Jesus is divine. You have to decide if you want to believe that testimony, but that's the testimony of the Bible. Jesus didn't start at the stable. He exists before creation. Colossians 1 says Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all, and in fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and on earth. In other words, if you have seen Jesus, you have seen God. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And John goes on to talk about how this Word became flesh and lived amongst us. Jesus repeatedly said, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He told the Pharisees before Abraham existed, I am. Now if this is true, that Jesus is God and he immigrates to earth and Christmas is the most relevant event in the history of mankind. God moves in. He settles in on planet earth. But there's more. Because the, beside the relevance, there's the reality of this immigration at Christmas and that is that God became a human being. He becomes a human person. It's not just that he immigrates to our world in spirit and floats around like a ghost. He comes as human, flesh and blood. If you were God, and you were going to come to earth, of all the ways you could choose to reveal yourself, would you come as a human baby? Verse 7 and 8, but he made himself nothing, taking the very nature or form of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. The reality of Christmas is that Jesus Christ is a real human being with a skeletal system and blood and a nervous system, a brain, a heart, feelings, thoughts. He's a real person. He's not a myth. He's not a fable. He's not a nice story. God wants to communicate with us. If he wanted to communicate with dogs, he would have become a dog. If he wanted to communicate with birds, he would have become a bird. But God wants to communicate with us. So he becomes one of us. How is he like us? Well, he's born like us. He comes into the world like billions of other babies. The whole history of the world rests on this fragile infant. He comes in the middle of a night in a stable in Bethlehem. 
Jesus does not stop being God when he becomes human. We believe that he is 100% God and 100% man. He is God in human form and he's born like us. And then he grows up like us. In Luke 2.52 it says, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and increased in favor with God and man. In other words, he grows, he develops, he matures, he has growth spurts. You know, one of the interesting questions, if Jesus had to grow up like us, when and how did he realize who he was? How did he come to know that he was the Christ? And he's tempted like us. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. In other words, Jesus experiences the same pressures you and I do. The same temptations. Temptations to lie and cut corners, to cheat, to lust, to lose his temper. He has the same temptations, but he never gives in to them. And that's important. Partly because he remains morally pure so he can, he can be our savior, but also because he can relate to us when we struggle. He suffers like us. He feels hurt and disappointment and rejection. He gets tired and fatigued. He feels loneliness and grief. He cries. He's fully human. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, the sorrow upon me is so great, it almost crushes me. He knows what it's like to feel pain. He knows what it's like to have problems and pressures. And he is God, but he becomes a man. Jesus becomes what we are, so we can become what he is. This is the reality of Christmas. Thirdly, there's the reason for Christmas, which I just stated. You know, as we said before, when people immigrate, they're looking for a better life. When Jesus immigrates, he comes to make where he comes to immigrate a better place. And the way he does that is to sacrifice himself. Jesus came to die. Verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He doesn't stay in the crib, in the manger. He goes to the cross and voluntarily lays down his life for us. No one put him there without his permission. And the scriptures say he does that for two reasons. He's obedient to death on a cross one, to demonstrate God's love to us. To demonstrate God's love to us. Romans 5.8, God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So the motivation is love. If you want to know how much your creator values you and loves you and wants you, you look at the cross of Christ. Jesus says, Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Hey, there's a lot of people who may give their lives for their country. 
for their friends, their family, their children. But the Bible tells us God gives His life for us while we still reject Him and are alienated from and hate Him. He does this out of love. This is the reason for Christmas to demonstrate to us His love for you and for me. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. But His death on the cross is not just an expression of love. It's not limited to that. It is also to pay for our sin. When we break a law, we have to pay the penalty. When we break human laws, we pay human penalties. When we break God's laws, we pay God's penalties. And the scripture says the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life. 1 Peter 2, 24 in a living paraphrase says, He personally carried the load of our sins in his body while he died on the cross so that we can be finished with sin and live for righteousness. What Jesus does 2,000 years ago can make a difference today. We can be completely forgiven for everything that we have ever done wrong or will ever do wrong. This is again a reason for Christmas. The angel said, For unto you this day is born a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now as long as any of us think, I'm okay, I'm not that bad. You know, you compare ourselves to serial killers and suicide bombers. I'm pretty good. But when we think like that, we are in the most spiritual danger. The person who realizes he needs a Savior is open to receiving a Savior. If we don't need a Savior, God would not have wasted all this effort to send one. The very fact that Jesus Christ immigrates to earth and gives up his glory in heaven, becomes a human being, born as a little baby, grows up, experiences pain, pressure, and temptations, dies on a cross, is raised again on Easter, means that you and I need what he has to offer and what he brings us. The reason he comes is to show us that we are loved. And we are valued, so much so that he will pay the penalty for our sin by his sacrifice on the cross. Salvation is freedom. It's freedom from guilt, condemnation, worry, fear, purposelessness, meaninglessness, and despair. It, it's freedom to know that your eternity is settled and, and that you, you, you are free to live your God-given potential. This is the reason for Christmas. Then there's a result. There's a result of Christmas, and that is that Jesus is Lord. Verse 9 through 11, Therefore God, therefore meaning after he dies on the cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. 
that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So the cross is not the end. That's what Easter's all about. But there's two results that come out of this. The Bible says over and over, those who humble themselves will be lifted up. And those who lift themselves up with their own pride will be humbled. Jesus humbles himself by becoming one of us, and, and he does, and two things result for him. One is God gives him the place of highest honor, top honor. He is exalted above all else. He's given the highest position in the universe. I think many of you are aware that someone who immigrates to the United States can become a citizen, but by law they can never become president of the United States. To be a president, you have to be naturally born as an American. Now here with Jesus, we have the opposite going on. The immigrant from heaven becomes the Lord of all the human race. And then secondly, God gives him a new name. The name Jesus in the New Testament is a very common name. That's why when they talked about Jesus in the Bible, they had to refer to him as uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Many children were named Jesus. The word means salvation of the Lord. The Hebrew counterpart is Joshua. But the name that he is given as a result of becoming one of us and going to the cross is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The word Lord in the Greek means master, ruler, number one, total sovereign, king. Over 600 times in the New Testament, Jesus is referred to as the Lord. Not a Lord, the Lord. Now, in New Testament times, the word Lord was used strictly for Caesar, for the emperor of the Roman Empire, because they viewed the emperor as a god. So they declared that Caesar is God. Caesar is Lord. And when they said that, they meant he was a god. So when Christians said, Jesus is Lord, they were killed. They were executed because they were considered disloyal to the Roman government. Many people lost their lives simply because of that phrase, Jesus is Lord. For us to say Jesus is Lord is to acknowledge that he's truly and really God. That he is more than a man or a prophet, but is divine. To say Jesus is Lord is a statement of faith that he is sovereign over everything. He has control of the universe. And that makes it a statement of comfort and encouragement. And to say Jesus is Lord is a statement of commitment. It's a test of commitment. Because he is Lord, he has the right to direct and determine what is right in our lives. 
Philippians 2, 11, 10 and 11 says, One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess the truth of all truth, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Every nationality, every age group, every male, every female, every religion will say Jesus Christ is Lord. All the politicians, all the rock stars, all the athletes, scientists, homemakers, stockbrokers, they're all going to say it. Jesus is Lord. If this is true, then the question becomes, when will you say it? Will you say it now, in this life? Confess it with love and faith and honor and respect? Or will you confess it later? and find that you made a big mistake. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is, what the, this is the greatest and ultimate immigrant story and what it's about. Jesus immigrates to earth takes up residence in order to provide a way for us to become citizens of heaven. He provides a way for us to be able to immigrate when we die to the new heaven and the new earth. To become a naturalized citizen of the U.S., you have to first establish your eligibility. I was sharing this with the children, obviously. You have to get what's called a green card, and that can take at least five years. You have to get a job, you have to do certain things, then you have to show good moral character, meaning be law-abiding, not get in any trouble with the law. You have to file and then pay fees. You have to be fingerprinted by the FBI and have a background test. You attend an interview. Then you have to pass tests showing your knowledge of English, and of U.S. civics, which would be interesting how many of us would take and how much we would know. And then you have to swear an oath. Go through the ceremony. And this can take years and years, and there's no guarantees you'll be admitted. To gain citizenship into the kingdom of heaven, it's simpler, it's immediate, and it's guaranteed but it costs you everything. Jesus has done all the work. He's prepared the way. We are invited to place our full trust in him as Savior and commit ourselves to him as Lord. To bend the knee of our will to him and declare him as the leader of our lives. My hope for all of us this Christmas is that we will make this commitment or, as it were, recommitment to Jesus Christ and to put our destiny in his hand and to let him fulfill his potential in us. May we make it the theme of our lives, which is what it means to be a believer and follower of Jesus, to confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. Then you'll be a citizen 
of heaven. Would you pray with me? Father God, we admit we are stretched in so many ways with this message from Philippians 2. To understand you having become one of us and still being God and being fully human and now being enthroned as the Lord of the universe. Lord, we pray for the grace to grasp by faith this reality. And we thank you and also pray that the reality of your love and value of us would be known in our hearts. That we would know how deep and high and long and broad is your love for each of us and for us as a church and for the body of Christ throughout history and the world. And Lord, open our hearts to the reality of our need for a Savior, that we fall short of your glory, and that you paid the price. You paid for our guilt. And may we take hold of that by faith. Lord, we declare you today as Lord, as sovereign, as king, as master, leader, ruler. And Father, we want to go from here having our lives directed by you that we would follow your will and purposes in our character, in our uh, living, our relationships, in the work and school that we do, and to fulfill your calling in our lives. Thank you. We praise you for this great gift, for your humility. In Jesus' name, amen.